the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. MyDesk.com. The following program is sponsored by the National Prayer Chapel. Gone unbelief. My Savior is near. And for my relief. Will surely appear. My prayer let me wrestle And he will perform With Christ in the vessels I smile at the storm Though dark be my way Since he is my guide Tis mine to obey his to provide the cisterns be broken and creatures all fail the word he has spoken shall surely prevail his love in time past forbids me to think to that
since all that I meet shall work for my good. The bitter is sweet and the medicine food. The painful at present will cease before long. And then, oh, how pleasant the conqueror's song. you believe will shape how you act and in our culture ideas from history permeate the mind and the thoughts of almost every person in America and so the question comes how do we examine and know what we are to believe I want to establish today at the very beginning of an intense look at Scripture that we do not base our beliefs on our experience. Don't use your experience to prove that what you believe is right. Experience is not the measure. Jesus said, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. Jesus is the measure of what is right and what is wrong, what is to be believed and what is not to be believed. Now let's look at some scriptures today, and you'll see very quickly that we are driving at a very central point. And I urge you, if you can, Take your Bible, also take paper and pencil, and write down the passages of Scripture we'll give you, and I urge you to take some time and study, because I would suspect that what we're going to share with you today will not accord with your experience, and it will not accord with probably what many of you believe. Now, in studio with me is my wife, Alexandra. Welcome. Welcome. Thank you all for joining us today. And you're listening to Pilgrim's Progress. We're going to open the scriptures now, and we'll begin with Jesus. When Jesus came upon the earth as a small baby, he did not come in the power of, of God. 
He came as a human baby. He laid aside the powers of divinity and did not exercise those as he walked and lived on the earth. Now it's very clear that Jesus did no miracles because they are not recorded in Scripture for the first 30 years of his life. We don't have one convert in the first 30 years that we know of. Yes. No sermons preached, no disciples, no miracles. But Jesus is living a sinless life. He is living without sin, but he is not involved in ministry. And it is a life, a hard life of physical labor and also being scorned and considered an illegitimate baby by his brothers and by others. So he is a man from the very beginning who is acquainted with sorrows, with the judgments of others, with harsh and nasty words. He does not sin. He walks through all of that, increasing in favor with God and with man because of his clarity about who he was. Now we come to the beginning of his ministry. He's been on the earth now about 30 years. John the Baptist went ahead of him and his message was repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. He does not say the kingdom of God has come. It has not come yet. So we find in Matthew, the third chapter, that Jesus comes and his work is described in three Matthew 3, verse 7. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to where he was baptizing, he, that is John the Baptist, said to them, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? Produce fruit in keeping with repentance. So he has come to bring repentance. Then in verse 11, I baptize you with water for repentance, but after me will come one who is more powerful than I, whose sandals I am not fit to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor, gathering his wheat into the barn and burning up the chaff with unquenchable fire. So very clearly we have outlined now the work of Jesus. It will be done in the power of the Holy Spirit. He will be separating the wheat and the chaff, the righteous from the sinner, and he will be gathering his wheat into the barn. Now in an agrarian culture, they understood very clearly what was being said. The grain was being preserved and the chaff was being burned. Now we have Jesus coming from Galilee and he comes to John to be baptized. And verse 16, as soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. At that moment, heaven was opened 
and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and lighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my Son, whom I love, with whom I am well pleased. So what we see clearly here is the the disciples were coming to John for the baptism of repentance. And John says, produced fruit in keeping with repentance. So in other words, those who were baptized by John were leaving behind their life of sin and they were starting new lives in which they were obedient to God. But John says that there is a second baptism, which is only only Jesus Christ can give us that baptism. So we see here two principles, or one principle, it's that when we are converted, we repent of our own sins, we're born again, but then there is a second work, which is the baptism of the Holy Spirit for ministry. And so Jesus was our forerunner in this. So we're going to look at how Jesus's life changed after he received the baptism of the Holy Spirit, because that's a picture for us of what God wants to give us. Now in Luke, the third chapter, again, we find the same thing happening. Jesus comes to be baptized. And he said in verse 16, I baptize you with water, that is, the water baptism for repentance from turning from your sins and walking in righteousness. But one more powerful than I will come, the thongs of whose sandal I'm not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. He's saying the same thing that Matthew said. Now let's go to Luke. Um... Twenty-one, I'm sorry, Luke three twenty-one. The heavens are open. The Holy Spirit descended on Jesus in bodily form like a dove. And the Father speaks, This is my Son, whom I love. With you I am well pleased. Then in chapter 4, verse 16, let me share this with you. Luke 4, after he comes out of the wilderness, he goes to Nazareth, which is his hometown. And in verse 18, he sits down, he opens the scroll in the synagogue, and he begins to teach them. And he reads this passage. The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. That word poor again, is one who cannot in any way save himself from poverty. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to release the oppressed, to, pro to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. So Jesus is describing the work that he will now begin to engage in of setting the prisoners free. The gospel of Jesus is about redemption. But I want you to notice that he says at the very beginning, the spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me. Now, everything from this point forward explodes in power. 
The lost are turned to salvation. Demons are cast out. The sick are healed. Men and women turn in repentance like Mary Magdala. They recognize that what they've done is wrong. Now, none of that could happen without the Holy Spirit resting on Jesus. Now, in John 14, let me look with you at John 14, verse 11. Why don't you read that for us? Begin with verse 11, Alexandra, and read through um, verse 14. So Jesus says to his disciples, Believe me when I say that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or at least believe on the evidence of the miracles themselves. I tell you the truth, anyone who has faith in me will do what I have been doing. He will do even greater things than these, because I am going to the Father, and I will do whatever you ask in my name, so that the Son may bring glory to the Father. You may ask me for anything in my name, and I will do it. So we see in the beginning of this passage, Jesus is saying, Believe me, and if you don't believe me for what I'm saying, believe me for the very work's sake. So if Jesus himself had to say this, if he needed the power of God to do miracles to prove that what he was saying was true, then how much more do we as Christians need this power? And you may be like me where you have tried, you've talked to your family members, you've done street evangelism, you have spoken to your friends, your classmates, your teachers, you've urged people to follow Jesus and there's no conviction, there's no conversion, they can just blow you off and walk away. Um, you may have gotten into lengthy arguments with Jehovah's Witnesses, with Muslims, and what you discover is that it's just my word against their word. And that's not going to cut it. We're not going to win anyone, or maybe we'll win a few, but we're not going to win anyone to Jesus in the way the New Testament describes without this power from God. Because Jesus himself couldn't even have done it without this anointing of the Holy Spirit. So the, Jesus gives us this incredible promise. He says, anyone who believes in me will do the works that I've been doing. You read through the Gospels, it says he healed the maimed, which means Jesus was actually growing out people's limbs. He caused the blind to see. He caused the deaf to hear. Uh, he raised the dead in several instances. You can read at the end of Mark 16. We'll look there next. There are God promises this power to all believers. Jesus didn't say that this was only for the disciples. He said in the passage we just read in John 14, he said, anyone who believes in me will receive this power. So that means this promise is for you. This promise is for anyone who will believe in Jesus. Just like in John 3.16, it says, Whosoever believes will be saved. So it's the same with the promise for the Holy Spirit. God, all he asks of us is that we believe him and that we prevail in prayer until we actually receive this baptism. If we look at Mark 16, when Jesus gave the Great Commission, beginning in verse 15, 
he said to his disciples, Go into all the world and preach the good news to all creation. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. And these signs will accompany those who believe. In my name they will drive out demons, they will speak in new tongues, they will pick up snakes with their hands, and when they drink deadly poison it will not hurt them at all. They will place their hands on sick people, and they will get well. After the Lord Jesus had spoken to them, he was taken up into heaven, and he sat on the right hand of God. Then the disciples went out and preached everywhere, and the Lord worked with them and confirmed his word by the signs that accompanied it. So again, we see here the purpose of these signs is to confirm that what you are speaking is, is the truth and is the true word of God. The truth by itself will not convert anyone. We need the truth in the power of the Holy Spirit. Now there's another passage of scripture we need to look at. Do you mind if I say one more thing? Go ahead. So I wanted to add, so this promise I just read in Mark 16. So I I personally thought that this was something that I just got everything at conversion. But as we just said, um, when you look at Matthew, you see that there is the baptism of repentance, which is when you're born again. And then there is this empowerment for ministry, this ability to work miracles and We'll look at that more in a moment, but I just wanted to lay that out that you may have even tried this as I did. You may have tried to cast out demons and heal the sick just in the power you had from conversion and you will have discovered you were not effective. So if we go to the book of Ephesians, the first chapter, Ephesians 1, we find this entire chapter outlining all of the gifts that are given from heaven for the salvation of men. Now, today in our culture, everything is about discovering myself. That's not what the gospel of Jesus is about. The gospel of Jesus is about redemption. It is about leaving our sin, being forgiven, having the sins removed, being washed in the blood of Jesus, being born again from on high. Remember what Jesus said to Nicodemus. If you are not born from above, you cannot enter into the kingdom of God. So Jesus came to redeem us, to pay the price and to save us, to remove us from sin. So when you come to the book of Ephesians, we find the gift of the Holy Spirit has been granted. Let me read it for you. Ephesians 1, verse 13. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. Having believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. So this is what you were speaking about, Alexandra, that when a person is born again, they receive the seal of the Holy Spirit. Now I see people, I hear people, I talk with those 
who say, Oh, I've been baptized in the Holy Spirit, but they have no power for witness and ministry. One person said, Oh, I have been baptized in the Holy Spirit, and I'm always bringing people to Jesus, and they're being saved. Problem is, they're being vaccinated against the gospel of Jesus. What do I mean? They are not being taught that they must leave all their sin and walk clean before God in preparation for the empowerment of the Holy Spirit that was promised to come. So, remember at the beginning, I said, don't use your experience as a judge of what is right or wrong. Don't say, I'm baptized in the Holy Spirit. And then think that you have more than a baptism for regeneration, a baptism for conversion, a baptism to wipe away your sins. The Holy Spirit comes and he seals us in Jesus. Yes, so when we're born again, we we do receive the Holy Spirit. As it says in Corinthians, it says, if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to Christ. So we do receive the Holy Spirit when we're born again, but that's only for our own salvation. That's for the empowerment to live a holy life. It's to guide us in prayer. It's the influence of the Spirit that gives us unction, that teaches us right from wrong. But that is not the same as the baptism of the Holy Spirit, which Jesus also calls power from on high. It's not the same as when Jesus said we would do the works that he did and even greater works. And so in Ephesians, the second chapter, as for you, this is verse 1, as for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins. That's before we were regenerated, before we were born again from above. You were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature objects of wrath. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms, in Christ Jesus, in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable Riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this not from yourselves, it's the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. For we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. So there are good works prepared for us to do, but we cannot do that without the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Now, 
most people that I know in America are constantly walking in either condemnation or an outright sin. I spoke with a man last night. He said, I guess I've been very lazy. I haven't spent much time reading my scriptures. I haven't spent the kind of time praying that I should spend. And he was off to some entertainment. That's the description of the modern American church. Church becomes an event, not a meeting of God's people, of supplication and prayer and praise. Church becomes entertainment, not a place to meet with Jesus. Now, please understand what we're saying today. When a person is truly born again, they leave their sin. They are made righteous by faith in Jesus Christ. And as they walk in that, they are sealed by the Holy Spirit. And he comes for power to live that holy life, that consecrated life, that life of intense love for Jesus. But there's another baptism. And until we've received that baptism, we have no power for ministry. We have no power to accomplish the work of God. And so many who have not received that baptism settle back into intellectual arguments, philosophic arguments. They go that way or they go superficial and everything is about unconditional love and and Jesus loves me and, and I know I'm saved but all the evidence says they're still walking in disobedience. They're still walking in wickedness. And so the name of Christ has received, what should I call it, a black eye. The name of Christ has been degraded in America. And the blood has been trampled on in America because we don't even walk in the first baptism and sealing of the Holy Spirit, let alone to step then into the full power of the Holy Spirit. And this is meant for everyone. This is not for pastors or preachers. This is for every Christian. This is not about having somebody lay hands on you and you fall down and they cover you with a modesty cloth this is not about priming the pump so that you can say strange things out of your mouth. There is a true and there is a false speaking in tongues. This is a baptism of power, of dynamite, to accomplish the work of God, to draw us to that right hand of Christ seated in experience seated at the right hand of Christ in the heavenly realm as Ephesians the second chapter describes it so as we said at the beginning if if the son of God himself did not even attempt ministry until he was baptized in the Holy Spirit then we ought to humble our own hearts 
and recognize that, as Jesus said, without him we can't do anything. But on the other hand, he gives us this incredible promise that we will do even greater works than he did. And we have seen that this is true throughout history. Our first example is if you consider at the end of Jesus's ministry, there were 120 people who gathered in the upper room. So in about three years of ministry, Jesus had 120 really solid converts. And then when the Holy Spirit comes, Peter preaches one sermon and has 3,000 converts. That's incredible. So that's one example of what Jesus meant when he said we would do greater works. You can look at more recent examples. For example, Hudson Taylor, who was the first missionary to inland China, evangelized entire provinces of China and won thousands and thousands of the Chinese to Christ. You can look at people like Charles Finney, who we've spoken about. You can look at Maria Woodworth Eder, who lived even more recently in the late 1800s and early 1900s. She was alive when people were, you know, taking automobiles to come to the meetings. This wasn't long ago. And she saw tremendous revivals in Chicago, in Los Angeles, all across the country with people being incredibly healed and saved and baptized in the Holy Spirit. So this is a, a gift, an empowerment to not only love Jesus more, to be in intense fellowship with him, but power to speak the word of God in such a way that when it's spoken, it fastens itself on a person's heart and ignites a fire of conviction that causes them to quickly turn and repent. You shared an example with me of a young woman who was converted. And she went out and told all of her friends. And some 70 of her friends that day were converted. Yes. Now, we're not talking about the kind of little sinner's prayer pardon me, that we talk about today. This was a deep heart repentance and turning away from all sin. This was walking clean. And I know many of you have, out of your own experience, said, I don't believe I can ever leave my sin. Well, in that case, you will never receive the fullness of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. You're going to spend the rest of your life struggling, and then having no assurance from Scripture that when you die, you'll go to heaven. In fact, if you continue to walk in the sin, you will be cast out. And a a precious woman said, well, I don't believe that it's possible to live without sin. Well, that's the modern Greek position. It's the pagan position. It is not the Christian teaching of Scripture. We have to sort these things out and believe what the scriptures teach. Yes. Should we look at the book of Acts? Um, Before we go there, let's just look very quickly, if we could, at John chapter 15. And would you read this very familiar passage, John 15, uh, 1 through 8? 
Jesus says, I am the true vine, and my father is the husbandman. Every branch in me that beareth not fruit, he taketh away, and every branch that beareth fruit, he purges, that it may bring forth more fruit. Now you are clean through the word which I have spoken unto you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, except it abide in the vine, no more can ye, except ye abide in me. I am the vine, ye are the branches. He that abideth in me, and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me you can do nothing. If a man abide not in me, he is cast forth as a branch, and is withered. And men gather them, and cast them into the fire, and they are burned. If ye abide in me, and my words abide in you, ye shall ask what ye will, and it shall be done unto you. Herein is my Father glorified, that ye bear much fruit. So shall ye be my disciples. So if you look at verse 5, I am the vine, you are the branches. If a man remains in me, and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Apart from me, you can do nothing. So it's possible for you to have an intellectual understanding of the gospel and not dwell in Jesus and not be baptized by the Holy Spirit and not be able to accomplish anything for his kingdom. Now, out of the consecration of our hearts, out of being born from above, we try, but we're not successful. Maybe one or two or three people a year digging people out of the mud, but we're not able then to really do the work of the gospel. I want to say, please understand what you see in America as the Christian faith is not biblical Christian faith. Again, what you see in America is not biblical Christian faith. It is both an understanding of who Jesus is and then it's acting on that understanding and being washed and cleansed and leaving our sin. This is not to take years. Conversion is instant. We're changed. We're made new. Now we'll spend the rest of our lives maturing and growing up in Jesus, but not walking in sin. And then when we come to this issue of baptism of the Holy Spirit, without that baptism, we can do nothing. That's what the word says. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. If you obey my commands, you will remain in my love just as I have obeyed my Father's commands and remain in his love. And he tells us he will send us the Holy Spirit, verse 26, When the Counselor comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of Truth, who goes out from the Father, 
he will testify about me, and you also must testify. Let's go to the book of Acts. Now, the disciples have been instructed very specifically in what they're to do. And if you look at Acts, the first chapter, Acts, the first chapter, Jesus is taken up from heaven. But he says before he is, in verse 7, this is chapter 1. Well, yeah, let's go to verse 4. Why don't you read that, Alexander? Yeah, so this is Acts chapter 1, verse 4. The disciples being assembled together, and Jesus is with them. So Jesus commanded them that they should not depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the Father, which saith he, ye have heard of me. For John truly baptized with water, but ye shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost, not many days hence. So again, we see this two baptisms. The first, the, these disciples were already converted. They were converted three years ago when they came to Jordan and were baptized by John. They left everything they had to follow Jesus. They left their businesses. They left their families. Peter asked Jesus this. He said, Lord, we've left everything to follow you. And Jesus said, yes, and if you've left everything to follow me, you will have eternal life in the life to come. So these people were already Christians. They were already converted, but they did not have this baptism of the Holy Spirit. So Jesus instructs them to wait in Jerusalem until they receive it. Verse 8, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. You know, Alexandra, when I, when I see this, our primary work, according to Jesus, is to proclaim the kingdom of God. Yes. Soldiers of the cross. I don't know what terms you want to use. But we're not here to make a living. We're here to lift up the cross of Jesus. Yes, to truly bring the kingdom of God on the earth as it is in heaven. Now, if you look at verse 11, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking up into the sky? The same Jesus who's been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you've seen him go into heaven. And they returned to Jerusalem from the hill called the Mount of Olives. When they arrived, they went upstairs to the room where they were staying. And those present were Peter and John and James and Andrew, the disciples. And they were joined together with others. Some of the women, Mary, the mother of Jesus, and the others. And it says they joined together constantly in prayer along with the women. They're waiting on the Holy Spirit. I don't think there's any way to receive the Holy Spirit except by waiting on Him and doing what He's told us to do, to remain in Him, 
Christianity is not a pleasant add-on to an already full life. Jesus becomes our life. Literally, he becomes our life. Now, it doesn't matter whether you're working in a dentist office or the government or you're a pastor or you're a teacher. Wherever you are, you are called in that place to lift up the cross of Jesus Christ and to make converts, to call people. Don't give me this foolishness well, I'm not going to talk about Jesus. I'm just going to live a nice life. And people will say, wow, what's different about you? It doesn't work. You have to witness for Jesus Christ. The scriptures are plain. If you're ashamed of the name of Jesus, the day will come when he'll be ashamed of you before the Father and his angels. We're called to speak, to act. But we have to be baptized in the Holy Spirit to be able to accomplish that. So chapter 2 of Acts. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. And all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. The Holy Spirit came in mighty power with wind and demonstrations of, of his power. They spoke the word and everyone from different parts of the world could understand in his own language what was being said as they glorified Jesus. Now, there were some who scorned them and said they were drunk. And Peter stands up and he begins to explain to them what has happened. And he quotes from the prophet Joel. Would you read that for us? Verses 17 through 21. Yes. And it shall come to pass in the last days, saith God, I will pour out of my spirit upon all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young shall see visions, and your old shall dream dreams. And on my servants and on my handmaidens I will pour out in those days of my spirit, and they shall prophesy. I will show wonders in heaven above and signs in the earth beneath, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood, before that great and notable day of the Lord come. And it shall come to pass that whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Now this prophecy is very clear. It is for the last days, which is our day. Peter used it as the last of that age of the old covenant. But it's very clear that sons and daughters will prophesy. What is prophesying? It's just preaching but it's straight, honest preaching. It's not just telling the future. It's forth-telling the whole word of Scripture. And men and women are going to both receive this word from God, and both men and women are going to proclaim that word. 
and there will be wonders in the heaven above and signs on the earth below. This prophecy is for our day too. We're in the last day. And he says, men of Israel, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did among you through him, as you yourselves know. This man was handed over to you by God's set purpose and foreknowledge, and you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross, but God raised him from the dead. That's the gospel. Jesus died on Calvary for you and for me. We are called now to receive the same baptism that they received on that day of Pentecost. Now, if you look at verse 32, God raised this Jesus to life, and we are all witnesses of the fact, exalted to the right hand of God. He has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has poured out what you see and hear now. They're convicted. A fire is ignited in their hearts. They, they, they ask, brothers, what shall we do? And Peter replies, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off and for all whom the Lord God will call. That's you. You're far off, far distant. You've heard the word of truth. He wants to baptize you in the power and might of the Holy Spirit. You will have no ability to minister in his name if you don't have this power. Do you have it? Have you been baptized in the power of the Holy Spirit? Don't tell me you've been baptized in the power of the Holy Spirit and you have no power to win the lost. I know many who struggle valiantly to win the lost. They'll go out and pass out tracts. They'll pour themselves out. But because they have not received this baptism of the Holy Spirit, their work is almost without success. There's no power. Now we're facing that now. We are crying out for the full baptism of Pentecost on Ray and Alexandra Greenlee. Yes. And we come unashamedly to say we have poured our lives out trying to accomplish something for the kingdom of God. We both have been baptized in the Spirit but we have not been baptized in the spirit of power for the work of the gospel. Yes, yeah, so for example, when Charles Finney went to Rochester, New York, there was a six-month revival 
and in six months, 100,000 people were converted in Rochester, New York. And so the entire city was changed because very influential people at all levels of society were converted. And this is what we need if we're going to reach Washington, D.C. with the gospel. If we're actually going to see corruption ended, alcoholism ended, all kinds of evil ended, we need this power of the Holy Spirit. And that's why we invite you to Revival Now to learn about the baptism of the Holy Spirit and to receive it. We are meeting this Monday night. Tonight. Tonight at All Saints Anglican Church in Woodbridge, Virginia, 22192. We need the power of the Holy Spirit to come, and we are going to seek him until he comes. Now, we're almost out of time for this broadcast. Let's pray. Almighty God, your people must have the power of your Holy Spirit. First, to turn them and seal them from their sin, and secondly, to equip them with power to do the work of the gospel. Would you come, Jesus? We trust you. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. We invite you to go to our our webpage, nationalprayerchapel.com or revivalnow.church. We'd love to hear from you. God bless you. God bless you. We'll talk to you soon. Visit our webpage, nationalprayerchapel.com and listen to this message again and share it with your friends. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.